fun. Yeah. So, yeah. Totally. Anyway, um, thank you right. very much for thank you very much for uh, like uh, doing that recording with me. No, it's fine. I don't think it worked though, which is a bit disappointing. But I mean, no, no, hey, no, no. It's it it, it, it did it did. Yeah, and it's I guess it's just like you know it's it's archived where you can fire that off at, at some other point or or whatever I, it is. So. It's going to it's go to everybody who signs up for a for their free workspace. It's going in an email embedded into a, you know, it's going in with like three other things that they need to see straight away. Right. Okay. <laughs> I subject those poor people to my bad. It's chat. not a, it's, it's, um, it's not, it's not a, it's not a, it's not an endorsement. It's just a, here's something you need to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Fair play. Fair play. Um, anyway, we're live, everybody. Uh, so welcome to Brain Food Live on Air. We're bringing it to you every Friday. No fail. Um, and today uh, we've got a really exciting conversation for you. Um, again, a, a change of format. Usually, we again we have a panel discussion. We you know have lots of people on screen. Uh, this time, no, we're going to go with another solo, uh, following up from our last uh, last week's amazing episode. Um, and today, we're going to be talking about what women want, um, particularly in tech, um, because we've had persistent issues of trying to move the needle in terms of gender distribution in technology, particularly in engineering jobs. Um, and if anybody studied the um, percentages, it's generally between five and 8% or so, and it's been that way for the last 10 years or so. So all of this woman in STEM, you know, uh, women, all this stuff, all well and good, but has the needle moved forward? It seems not. So why is that? Um, and uh, and can we do something about that? So we've got Fiona O'Connor to join us for that. She's done a bunch of research for, for her latest book, and she's going to share some data on that. Um, anyway, Adam, you seemed like desperate to say something. So you, Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. You said, right, we've got a solo guest coming on this week. I wonder if it's going to be like last week where our solo guest couldn't get on for quite some time So we um, to talk about... Um, how to respond to negative negative feedback. So we brought on the person who gave the negative feedback <laughs> in the first place. So if we can't get Fionnula on to talk about what women want, should we be getting somebody? Is there somebody out there who's ready to talk about what women don't want or what women can't get or what yeah. men want or something like the absolute opposite of what uh, what it's about? Hands up, hands up in the crowd if if that if you just do a walk on. Uh, there, there is by the way a new feature on Crowdcast which I, I'm a toggle away from allowing anybody to just walk on the screen. Um, so that is actually possible. I might just flick that on as a as a, as a basic thing, just as a bit of a laugh, you know. Uh, see what happens. But Fiona is here, and we'll bring her on shortly. Uh, but before we get into it, let's do some sound checks. Make sure everyone can hear us okay, uh, folks. Um, if you're watching this on Crowdcast, just let me know in the comments whether the audio and visual is fine. Um, we should be blasting this out on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, everywhere where I can possibly do it. Um, so if you're watching in any of those places, let me know whether the audio visual is fine. I think we can see actually that we are good on LinkedIn, which is great stuff. Um, okay, folks, um, brilliant on that side. Good to see that everyone's uh, listening. By the way, thank you so much for everyone who's also restreaming this show. I think that's including you, Adam Gordon. So if you're watching this on Adam Gordon's channel, uh, big plus to you. Uh, but we've also got Rob Walker. We've also got Alexandra Givetvai. Um, we've got... Uh, I think Juliana Park is also live stream. We've got a bunch of people that are just generally doing it for us. So get out there um, and let's spread the good news. Okay, let's uh, talk to our, uh, give our sponsors a quick shout out as we always do. Folks, um, this week's sponsor is Greenhouse. They have been the most dedicated sponsor for Brain Food in 2023. They are stepping up yet again um, to say we want to support this show. Without our sponsors, we cannot run uh, Brain Food Live on air. So we have to thank them for that. Uh, Greenhouse have been releasing some really interesting content on their website recently. So do make sure you check it out. I think this is actually open and, and not actually behind any registration wall. Uh, so jump onto Greenhouse if you want to look at things like talent maturity, if you want to look at interviews, if you want to look at sort of different ways in which you can get operationally more efficient, um, they're turning it into a really powerful resource. Um, and, of course, if you ever care about upgrading your ATS, 
to something that's enterprise grade, um, go ahead and check out uh, Greenhouse there. Um, okay, cool. Uh, let's uh, let's get on with it. Um, Adam Gordon, good to see you again as usual. Um, how how have you been? How was your week? Actually, tell us a bit of your news. You might as well, you know, um, give us an update on where where we're at. Yeah. Okay. So uh, launched our recruiter enablement workspace uh, product poetry on Wednesday, one week earlier than we had, uh, in fact, Tuesday, sorry, one week earlier than we planned. 80 companies have come on so far and signed up for their free recruiter enablement workspace. You don't need anybody else on it for it to provide some value. So uh, free recruiter enablement workspace at poetryhr.com. Um, but of course, it's better for me if uh, you bring all your team on because then we get paid as well. Uh, <laughs> so it's uh it's go go, it's got, go it's for well. the free plan folks just clone your email and go <laughs> go for the free plan and i can almost guarantee that you're going to take about five minutes to be able to visualize hang on the world would be much better if i had all my colleagues in here because the network effect is really clear yep fantastic just share the link in the chat stream you may as well um all right um, and whilst whilst you get all that, let's um, let's uh, review the newsletter as well um, before we bring Fionn Nula on. So I think we were we were at three six five last week, I believe. Did you read the newsletter, Adam? And if so, what was it? Man, I did. Uh, let's talk about HP's work relationship index first of all. So hmm. um, what they what they've said is that the world's relationship with work is unhealthy. Um, mm-hmm. It impacts your emotional, mental, and, and physical well-being. It is something which is bad for employers if you've got a bad relationship with, with work. Um, and it's a big document. There's like 40-plus pages in there of information. So I think it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's semi-academic, but it's also pretty easy to, easy to read. Um, the, the difference between one country to another country is astounding. So 5% of people in Japan have got a healthy relationship with work, whereas 50% of people in India say they've got a healthy relationship with work. Now, I'm calling bullshit on that. I don't think there's any way that 50% of people in India have got a healthy relationship with work. But it's still, regardless of what number it actually is, it's still a lot, lot more than Japan. Do you know what? There's there's regional variance, but it also t- tells us a little bit how we need to be very skeptical of anything that's like self-reported, um, because we we end up just making commentary. Like, firstly, different people, different cultures, different whatever are going to have different comfort levels of saying or answering those questions, um, and it doesn't. I don't think accurately measures too much things. Having said that, we do also have to take them at face value you know if we've asked them what they feel and they've said they feel this then okay at least we know they have said they feel this um so yeah there's huge regional variance and one of the valuable things about the 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 survey is that it is touching in different countries and rather than just hyper focusing on one thing so worth having a look see and all of those things sorry i interrupted that i was just going to say like um the the Western European and North American uh, countries, there was a variance of between 20, like for Spain up to, I think France was maybe 21, Germany's about 21, UK was 25, Canada was about 25, USA's 28. So there seems to be a bit of consistency in there from Western Europe and North America between 20 and 28%. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it's certainly bad for people and for industry that so few people have got a good relationship, sorry, a healthy relationship with work. Mm. And that that could mean like overcommitment as well. So it's not necessarily toxic, but it may be that your relationship is unhealthy because you're putting so much in and and actually that's depleting your, you know, it's depleting your resources and stuff. Um, yeah, quite right, Ed. I want to try and set that up. Um, although the poll I think is already up there. I mean, I, don't, I think it's a slightly different poll. Um, but yeah, oh, folks, whilst Ed's talking about polls, um, why don't you have a look at the poll on the right hand side of your screen if you watch it on Crowdcast and cast your vote in there? Um, so basically, the poll question is Do you factor in gender when putting together workplace cultural practices, or is it just you know, are you gender blind basically, 
Or do you think, you know what, uh, maybe we need to think about how women and men might want different things and we need to design for that. So uh, let me know, no judgment either way, um, what you think on the poll there and we'll see where we go. Um, I, want all right, what, um, I want to know what all the, um, all the people voting yes, as you're saying, is that, yeah, absolutely, we do a lot of like football matches and golf days and stuff like that. Because that's the that's the main way that I've ever seen that work is uh, uh, you know um, a lot of men centered activities. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know the, the the drinks, the drinks, the previous pre COVID, the drinks after work is is very blocky for sure. It's it's also very you know uh, for certain type of block as well. So it's, it's certainly exclusionary to a large. Uh, group of people, particularly women, I would say. Um, but um, but anyway, um, okay, right. um, worth reading that HP uh, survey. Give us a couple more, mate. Yeah, so the next one, you said something using the phrase overworked or something like that. That brings me on to the next one. So a guy on Twitter uh, talking about how he does his exec meetings on Sunday night and has done for 20 years. Um, apparently, Tim Cook does this as well. I, I, I quote, first, it saves you half a day. If you wait until Monday morning, say from 9 till 12, you've used 5% of the whole week on your exec meeting. By doing it Sunday night, everyone can start Monday morning fresh with a clear idea of where to focus. My response to that is, if that's the way you're thinking, why don't you make your team, let's say you've got a coal mine, why don't you make them go down the coal mine on the, on the Sunday night as well so that they're not wasting Monday morning? And like, let's just, just get them working seven days a week. Why, why are they sleep? Why are they? Why are they? Why are they playing football? Get them down the coal mine. Why All right. So, so I see you're broadly critical of the of the case, um, which, which, by the way, I think is fair. I think it's majority view probably is critical of this, but I do want you to read the thread um, because he's not saying everyone do it. He's saying executives do that, um, and he's. I, I thought he put together quite a compelling argument because I think Mondays are always a shit show in terms of productivity. Because you you open, you come in you open your inbox it's complete mess it's horrible um, and it's like you know what nothing ever happens it's the least productive day ever uh, we're talking execs only so we're saying hey listen if you've got a senior level team do you want to get together get your heads around that get it all blasted out and then just charge into uh, Monday with full fire what do you think anyway I'm basically pro Sunday working I'm trying to say. Um, and, I mean, you're you know, you're I, you're different. You're you're your own boss. You're your own CEO, and like you're you're not bringing you're not bringing a team of people who have got their own lives together for your Sunday night like exec team meeting. But I have cool. done it a couple of times in the last in the last two years. There's been three or four times when I have been called into Sunday night exec meetings, um, which was not every Sunday, but it was occasionally, um, and you know there's something important that you need to do if it's happening on a Sunday. And um, I've actually, I have valued that. I have, I have thought it's useful, but not every Sunday night. That's just encroaching into somebody's personal space, no matter how much of an exec they are. The difference is if you're getting paid millions every year or you've got millions worth of stock options or whatever it is, then your life probably does depend on it. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. you know, I, it is I, probably number one of your priorities. Yeah, I think maybe here's the difference between are you a stakeholder, let's say. Let's say if you're a stakeholder in the business, like you're an equity owner of a significant level, then I think that's justified for the productivity reasons. Um, and I would think the regular thing is useful simply because if it's episodic, it's even worse. It's like, oh, you have to drop whatever you're doing. But if you set aside the time, I think it may work for you. Um, but uh, yeah, quite right, Chloe. I think it is very uh, male dominated as well. And I got the feeling just reading on that tweet, it felt a little bit like it was just a you know a tech bro type of scenario. But I'm still pro it. Um, I still think you know it, for, to to eliminate the crap of, of Monday, you might need to do that compromise. Um, but uh, but anyway, uh, let's agree to it. Well, I've I've disagreed with sure. everyone here. So yeah, you're right, Adam. Everyone agrees with you. <laughs> That's fine. But I'm kind of sticking with this. I think it can can actually be useful. Um, well, I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why there's a gender element to that though. Um, um, there is going to stick my foot in it, which I probably will. Why? Why, is, why men have got families as well, but yeah, all right, that's true. But women are definitely primary caregivers. That's also a fact. 
um and and uh, that is that's again another very persistent sort of uh, entirely sort of... shared in my family uh, yeah so I, I don't recognize that but i appreciate that is correct sorry no 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 I'm, uh, it's, it's it's always when you know when you i'm bringing my personal sh- sort of uh view into everything and in fact by the way when anybody says anything it's always autobiographical anyway i mean that's another thing you need to bear in mind so all good all right give us one more we're getting complaints from people on linkedin saying where is fianula fianula's on the wing she's coming in uh but we're gonna we're gonna talk about one more thing on the news okay first, so. okay okay let's talk about um let's talk about the source code agencies like sourcing metrics bible document that was great okay. um the source code agency is a consulting business helping com- helping companies source and uh, two of their people, uh, Balash Parotze and Alexandra Getvoy, whose surname you added extra syllables into earlier when you. I'm said sorry, that. Alex. Yeah. Uh, I can't let me tell you. Enough. Let me tell you some of the like the the metrics that you need to uh, you need to be thinking about the number of active sourcing recs per person. Uh, they reckon between five and ten is a is a good number per week. The number of QIAs, this is a good way of thinking about it, qualified, interested, and available uh, candidates that they're submitting, they reckon between 6 and 12 a week. The number of QIAs per rec, ideally 2 to 3. Time to submit. um, Time to submit 3 QIAs per rec, 5 to 10 days. And then time to resubmit an entire different list of QIAs once the first list has been rejected. Uh, between three and five days so there's loads and loads of great stuff in uh, that document and so i reckon you should definitely go and have a look at that if you've got any interest in sourcing and everybody should have everybody here yeah absolutely it's free to download i've just shared the link in the chat stream there um really really good piece of work from those two um and uh, and, and yeah very valuable because these are sourcing specific metrics so we, we we hear a lot about recruitment or ta metrics that's all well and good, but you know, deep, deep dive down to to the sourcing aspect. Um, do we have a set of metrics that can actually measure productivity and performance there? So um, I thought that was a really valuable document, very popular as well. So uh, please take a look um, at it if you fancy uh, fancy that. Um, okay, cool. Let's get on with this topic here then, Adam. Moving on to uh, this this uh, discussion. Um, what do women want? Now, as a manager and a leader of a business, you've actually put together companies. So you've had to think about this. Um, uh, have you been conscious in designing uh, your business practices, operating practices around women in, in a specific sense? Or have you just thought, you know what, actually, it's, not, well, you know, it's, it's pretty gender blind. We're going to make it inclusive for as many people as possible. But you know, you haven't necessarily thought about women as a, as a separate uh, a group to consider when you're putting together these practices. Can you share some of your experiences as a business owner and leader? Yeah, sure. I mean, the like my lap, candidate ID and before that social media search, the biggest those companies ever were, social media search was about 30 people. So I've never run companies with hundreds of people. And the answer is no. I, I haven't ever put anything in that is specific for um you know, thinking about women. Um, however, I have not in either of these companies run a business uh, where we've had like long hours culture or where there has been a, you know, if there's an emergency, you're looked down upon because you've got to get to a school to pick up your kid or anything like that. Um, and so I think that I've always, I think, I think, would I be, would I be more conscious of specifically setting up an environment which is friendly to women? Uh, may, maybe, but like, I, I, I firmly believe people should get their, you know, if people can get their jobs done, they should get them done wherever and whenever. And, and, and that doesn't matter at all. So there's, there's, um, yeah, I mean that's my summary on that. I'm I'm not a big expert in this subject, and I'm looking forward to learning from Fiona. Yeah, and I'm not that obviously I'm not an expert either. Uh, but I, I but I do I'm I'm skeptical of the poll results here because uh, everyone's saying yeah yeah we do that. Um, no, you don't. Um, <laughs> I think that's actually quite unusual um, uh, because we're talking about being like very intentional in your thinking 
Um, and I, I'm just doubting that's 79%. That's a very high number. Or it could simply be we have a very progressive and you know open-minded um, future thinking group here in Crowdcast. So that's a possibility. I mean, it will um, be. There is, a, there is a filter bubble around you here. Um, absolutely. The people who follow you are the people who certainly are the ones who want to understand how to do everything better. And that is not most people. That may be the case. Um, all right, Fianula, I'm bringing you onto the screen. There should be a pop-up, uh, which just accept that, and we should see you in a sec. So let's see um, what the research tells us on this. And by the way, this is specific to tech as well, so uh, I'm sure a lot of the issues might be um, uh, a kind of broader across a sort of organizations, but what is it in particular about technology technology roles that create this situation? Fianula, wonderful to see you. Um, welcome to the show. Um, for the people who don't know you, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Fanula O'Connor and I'm a woman in tech. And like most women in tech, that means I've done a lot of different things in tech. Um, right now, I'm a consultant to companies about using tech in ways that don't completely piss off your workforce or wreck your business model. Um, I've also been a tech entrepreneur um, it, using all sorts of clever deep learning and other stuff that if I was talking to an investor, I would call AI. But if I'm talking to real people like you, I'll just say, look, it's statistics and maths and an awful, awful, awful lot of iteration. Um, and I've also worked for a big consulting company running their tech products. Um, and like everybody, I'm addicted to tech myself and I hate it, hate it, hate it. Um, and that mishmash of um, experiences and, if you like, expertise is something that means I've got really interested in not just how tech works, but how tech is built and who's building the tech. And actually why, as Hung, you said at the beginning, we've, for the last at least 20 years, if anything, inclusion and diversity in tech in terms of gender has gone down, not up. And that's something that isn't happening in all kinds of other areas. Something is going wrong. Um, and so quite recently, I did some research with another amazing woman in tech to find out, well, what is happening here? And actually, how can we fix it? Um, and what we did is, you know, I've done in every bit of research I've done, I've been doing research for God, about a quarter of a century now, is actually ask the people who are impacted. So we talked to... Um, over 400 women in uh, 59 countries. I was thinking it was 60, but that was my mistake. I'd miscounted around the world. Um, we've had them tell us, well, what's your experiences in tech? Um, and also there are two other bits of research that I'm going to draw on much more because that re recent research is going to be coming out in the book. Um, but the research that I can share pretty fully is this all research I did when I was at Hay Group, big HR consultancy, where you know, I was head of the tech product. So I actually got access to all their data on people that stretch back to the 1930s, if you can believe. Um, and that a lot of that was about how people are using technology and also really understanding what is it that we can measure using tech and we can influence using tech with people. Um, and then also I had a business called Matchpoint in the US, um, which was the tech startup I mentioned. And there we had a joint venture with a big psychometrics provider. We had access to all their data going back to 1947. That was, I think, 12 million individual records. And ourselves, we built up 8 million records. A lot of those were from people in the tech industry. So I've seen quite a lot about who's in tech, what works for them. And you know, I'd love to talk to you more about particularly what works for women and then also what women want and what you can just forget about and you needn't do anymore because it's not helping and it's a bit of a pain anyway. So you, you know, thank you so much for diving into sort of the, the yeah, what works, but let's put a great on the context. Um, and I, I think we need to spend just a bit more time on that because it would be really useful to see exactly what sort of data that you've been able to get access to. By the way, I've just shared a few Nula's LinkedIn on the chat stream there, so feel free to connect. Um, so, um, okay, so a lot of this data, when you say that all that historical stuff, 
Um, can you tell us a little bit more about sort of what you mean by this? Are we talking about like numbers of hours that people are spending in, in office or, you know, what am I looking at uh, beyond, okay, this person was working in this air, in this space? Yeah, it's, there's all sorts of data. I mean, basically you've got, when you think about people and work, there are three types of data that is useful. Um, there's maybe another one, which is gossip, which is super interesting, but I'm not going to talk about that. And the three bits are useful. Absolutely. First of all, what people do, what jobs they do, how many hours they work, you know, where they do those jobs, how long they stay in those jobs for. That's the sort of what they do stuff. Then there is what they say. And that's very much what they tell you they want, um, what they will give as their opinion of whether they're happy in the job or not, which bits they like or not, what they say. Now, what the, what people do is pretty simple data. What people say is a little bit complicated because you have to ask the questions in a really smart way. Because, for example, if you ask me, um, you know, what do I want to do in 10 years time? I can give you an answer. But if you then check back 10 years later and find out what decisions I made over the last 10 years, Quite often, there'll be nothing to do with what I expect in 10 years time. Humans are really, really bad predicting the future. We're also not great at recognising what's worked for us in the past. Um, you know, as a consultant, one of my, in fact, my, the one question I ask more than anything else to my clients is, how did that work out for you last time? So I think you have to be a little bit careful about asking people what they say. Now, there are some ways in which you can ask you know, people what they say and you'll get an answer that's true now and will inform the future, will be predictive. Um, you know, as recruiters, you know a lot of those questions. I'm very happy to share some of the things I've picked up over the, um, the years. So there's what you, what you do, what you say. And then the third part of data, which is really what I've specialised in, is what's going on inside. Actually, what are you good at? What do you really care about? What are the things that you are curious about? What's your potential? Um, and actually, what do you do well? And that's all internal data. People don't always show it in their actions. Their CVs don't always show it. If you ask people, people won't always be honest about it. But I think if you look at those sort of three sorts of data, what people do, what they say they want, and then actually what they're thinking inside and the way we can find out that thinking inside. Sometimes we can ask them. We can look at the choices they make. We can look at their interactions with others. If you put all those together, then you probably, I don't know, you've probably got maybe 25% about the truth about how people work. Hmm. What's the other 75%? Well, we've got a huge research future ahead of us but 25 percent is better than better than we've got so far so do you know what you know I, I really love the the humility there because i think oftentimes a lot of people who you know do a lot of data work generally come out with ex extreme certainties um on on what it is and and in fact you know what it's all very you know we're, we're doing our best to, to, to predict or guess and there's there's huge gaps in the information that we have um, but I love the fact that we're caveating this in the right way. Uh, but it, that doesn't mean it's useless. If it's, if it's not perfect, it doesn't mean it's useless. We can get a general idea. Um, and also the combination of what people say and then what, what's the term? It's the, the revealed preferences, isn't it? So in other words, they say one thing, which is stated preferences. And then actually what they do, uh, that also tells us a, a, a great deal. So uh, very interesting. Go ahead. It does. And I, I want to say something else about that. You know, that uncertainty, this is all probabilities. And I think as recruiters, you know, there isn't, sadly, that there's no perfect prediction out there of who's going to be the best candidate, of how person X or person Y is going to perform. We're not nowhere. And I think one of the things that really is leapt out when I was, you know, thinking about talking to you today and thinking about all the research I've done is there is no one truth. There's no generality. There's no average. But equally, there aren't a million different possibilities. I mean, when I was looking at those huge data sets of millions and millions of records, and these, if I think about the match point records, these were records which were very much about the internal stuff I was talking about. So 
they're records of how people saw themselves, of actually the records of intelligence, competence. And when we looked at all these records, we compared them to jobs. So if you look at, say, all the um, data scientists in our database, and then you looked at, well, how good are they at being data scientists? How well do they do? We didn't find that there was one single profile that won. But equally, there wasn't infinite variation. Between 80 and 90% of the time, we found that there were an average of four different, slight different profiles that predicted success. So I think one of the sort of things that I try and keep in mind is just because I see person A doing well, that doesn't mean I should go and hire another person A. It might be that exactly the right person A is a person B, but it's probably not a person Z. So it's that sort of fuzzy logic, I guess, of there's no one answer, but equally we're not clueless. You know, yeah, and the more you that. can think about these things and talk about them, and actually sometimes just ask direct questions, the, the easier it is to get the answer that works. I love that. Um, okay, let's get into the topic on what women want in tech. Like, if I just ask you this question, you can give me a 60 second answer. What, what, what's that going to be if you? <laughs> <laughs> um, if I had a one sentence, if I had a three word answer, it would be men to listen. Um, if I have a one sentence answer, it's women want to be treated genuinely equally and recognized for what they do. Um, if I have a bit of more of a kind of a paragraph answer, I'd say that, you know, right now we've got a situation where half the women who come into tech have left by the time they're 35. That's not, that says something about what it's like to work in tech. At the same time, when um, you know, there's recent research that we've been doing with women in tech, when we're asking women who still are in tech, some of them under 35, a third of our, our group is under 35, two thirds weren't. How happy are you with your, with your career? How, how fulfilled do you feel right now? Two thirds answered positive. Above average, yep, actually, I love working in tech. Um, <clears throat> so I think there are, there are quite a few, there is a problem, but at the same time, this is not an incompatibility of women in tech. This is something about the tech industry is not doing some of the really basic things that it could do that will make it a much more welcoming environment for women and also will get more out of women's efforts. I think, um, I think it was Tech UK that said there's about 3.6 billion to be released by actually getting more women into technology. That's a, the opportunity size. Now, I think that was a UK only figure. That's going to be huge if you take it globally, and frankly, I think three billion is an underestimate. Yeah. Fiona, uh, can I ask, yeah. how, do, how does that compare with other industries? Because some of what you've just said, I feel like if you'd replace tech with manufacturing or construction or quite a lot of other industries, financial services, it might be there's a similar number of women of 35 and above who are no longer in that industry as well have you done any comparison across yeah so is it worse in tech yes um okay. tech's not the only bad place but yes no. it is worse in tech and i think there's something about um there's a, a one called claudia golden who just won the nobel prize for economics and she does has done a lot of research on women in the workforce across sectors and also i think she's gone right back a couple of centuries so she's got huge data sets. And actually, one of her big findings is that what she calls greedy work is especially bad for women. And by greedy work, she means the kind of jobs where you're expected to be on call. I mean, I was kind of laughing at your Sunday discussions. Yep. You're expected to be basically on call all the time and it's unpredictable. So that can be everything from a gig worker who, you know, suddenly gets the text, you're on at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. Uh, you know, if you're if you're a woman and you're absolutely right, women bear the brunt, not just of childcare, but of domestic responsibilities. I mean, we were struck by how many women we talked to talked about the the burden that was disproportionately on them of caring for elderly relatives, 
of doing just household admin. So there is something about, you know, are men actually going to recognise that we're all the human race and maybe they should do their fair part? There's a societal problem, clearly. Um, but back to your kind of question about sectors, the greedy work. Tech defines itself as a greedy workplace. You've got to be on all the time. You've got to be 100% dedicated. We are, you know, we're going to work in ways that demand the maximum. Now, when you look at other sectors, they used to be like that and they're not anymore. So I don't buy it that there's something, I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've built tech, I've paid people to build tech, I've worked beside people who build tech. There's nothing I've ever seen that inherently means, you know, that person A is irreplaceable, that there couldn't be more of a team-based approach where, yeah, actually, maybe I can't be there on a Monday morning because I need to take my daughter to school or walk my dog. But maybe there's somebody else who can't be there on a Friday afternoon when that's perfectly fine for me and we can work it out. So I think there is something about tech thinks it's special. I'm not sure it is. Um, I wonder about like you describe you talk about greedy work. Is that yeah, what greedy work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I appreciate that. And I, I recognize that in the context of tech. I recognize that in the context of banking as well and financial services in general. Yes. So I, I wonder if um, I wonder if they if if banking and financial services has mm -hmm. evolved better than tech, is that because it's a more mature sort of industry or? Yeah, I mean, it, it's part of that. And I think I would caution because I think if you look at financial services, you have areas like asset management yeah. where you have an awful lot of women. You yeah. have working practices that are very, very different from, say, crypto. Yeah. To take another extreme. Yeah. Yeah. Now, why is that? What, what, what's inherently going on? And actually, a couple of things I think that are quite interesting. One is longevity. You're right. New industries don't tend to be the most inclusive for, for all kinds of good and bad reasons. Another thing that is in, is in asset management being good is really easy to assess. The numbers are very, very obvious. Whereas a lot of other financial services roles, it's not so easy to tell actually immediately and without any bias, who are the high performers and who are the not. In areas where performance is very, very easy to assess consistently and accurately, women tend to do better. Mm. And there tends to be a recognition that actually somebody who has five children can still be the head of an asset management firm, for example, yeah. as, as, you know, just to take one example. Um, yeah, so, so it's, a, it's a bit of, I think there's a lot of, there's been a lot of, I mean, in tech particularly, I hear the excuse time, time again, well, either there is a technical solution to this, you know, we just need to fix the algorithm. Or I hear the answer, you know what, women, you've got to step up. It's that you're not fitting in a bit like the culture fit discussion. You're not fitting in with this culture. You, you're the ones who've got to change. And more than either of those two, I hear just the, well, what can we do about all these complex systemic structural problems? And actually, that's why um, my co-author, Patricia Gustoso, and I are writing this book, because absolutely, we can fix these. They have been, these challenges have been fixed in other industries. They have been fixed in other contexts. Tech is not unique. And actually, tech can learn a lot from what's worked elsewhere in you know, providing working workplaces that attract more women, that retain more women, that actually get the most from the women they've got. I mean, one of the most shocking things from our research is how much value women have tried to contribute and has not been taken on. And as a business owner, that terrifies me. And I think other business owners should be equally terrified and should do something about it. Can I, before we start talking about like maybe some of your summaries of what the solutions might be and what you've learned mm -hmm. from looking at other industries that have achieved better, is what you're talking about have you done any 
um, research around like differences across the functional areas. So there's often big differences in the makeup of a go-to-market team versus an internal services team versus a uh, tech team. Uh, yeah. They don't really look the same. They don't wear the same clothes. They so what? Um, like, is, is there any differences you've noticed? Are are some of these better for women than others at this point, or not? You know, it's really interesting because we did look at those differences, and we also looked at cultural difference. I mean, and I'm talking culture in the big sense, like a national sense. Is it different being a data scientist in? Saudi Arabia compared to Seattle compared to Stockport. So, and, and also, is it different at different levels of hierarchy? You know, are actually the problems when you start out in tech as a woman, are they maybe once you're hitting a glass ceiling? You know, what's going on here in particular? And the thing I would say is overall, the message is the differences are far fewer than we had anticipated, actually. In and, and by differences, I mean not in terms of differences in roles, because you would not hire the same person to be a data scientist as to be a customer support person, as to be a um, you know, hardware engineer. I mean, these are really different people who do really different things. But we were really surprised by actually how cohesive the culture in good and bad ways of tech is around the world, Different levels, different roles, whether you're in HR in a tech company, whether you're actually building tech, whether you're selling tech, um, a lot of the same things really came up. And I think the, the biggest and the most shocking one was that tech is a very, very unfriendly place for women, far more than most other industries. I think parts of finance do come close, unfortunately. Um, it was, you know, we hear... A lot of the discussion around what works for women at work talks about um, childcare accommodations and parental leave, things like that. Those are great. Those are table stakes. That was nowhere near the top issue that women in tech said was a problem to their career success. I wonder whether people in the audience or, or even the, the two of you on the panel can guess what the top issue was. Let, top let's, issue was. Let's, let's do that straight away, folks. Let me know in the comments. Let Fiona oh. know in the comments. What do you think are the top issues for women in tech or the ones that they've stated? Number one. You, what was the number one? It was overwhelmingly. It's going to be pay, so. is it? Is it, is well, it, is it, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Adam said right. pay. Uh, I want to see what other people say in comments. So, so bang them in there, uh, everybody. And by the way, sorry, I had to disappear uh, uh, so reasonably, uh, so, so midway there. Thank you for carrying on, uh, you two. Um, just some internet issues, uh, as 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 usual. Um, okay, so got some really interesting things. Lack of sponsorship, pay parity, imposter syndrome. Um, uh, what is it? Misogyny, direct, like you know, a hostility from. Uh, from men, I assume, um, and um, and yeah, I, I'm not quite sure what uh, Patricia's meaning there. Um, okay, that's simply because I got to read it. Um, macho culture. Okay, we're getting a lot of those things. I'm gonna go for comp. I think it's comp. Um, it, you know, force me into one thing. I'll say that. Um, so, so Fiona, you want to put us out of our mystery? What was the what was the number one thing? Anyone who answered misogyny. Really? Wow. And quite a few of the other answers, which were specific examples of how misogyny works. Um, so you know, you'd say respect is in there, like, like well, macho culture, would you say? Macho culture. Lack of recognition, actually, is an interesting one. And where pay does come in is there's an awful, we, we gather a lot of evidence and examples of women who are not getting equal pay for equal work. Hmm. so i mean pay is a so i think it's pay pay itself is pays an indicator pays an indicator of right. value yeah and particularly when you look at kind of what people feel about pay people really care about pay in their individual in their um immediate Correct. circle so i will care far more about what the person next to me has been paid than i do about you know a fanula o'connor who's sitting in um, Australia and 
actually there's a lot of evidence that women are not being paid the same for the same work in the same context. Um, so yeah, that's where pay comes in. But pay is almost just a symptom of this. I'm not being treated fairly. And there's, and I think that's, uh, you know, something that is very, very persistent and denied in tech. And, you know, we hear all kinds of things like, I persistently hear the, you know, a, a problem is that women need to get more qualified to be in tech. You know, women just don't have the computer science degrees or they haven't done the, um, you know, the crypto training program. Is um, like, like the the French um, the French joke about um, what what do you call what's the English version? How do you say in English um, or how do you say in French um, pain free childbirth? And the answer is a lie. It is just a lie. There are on on average women. There are six. If you look at women in tech compared to men in tech, women are six percent more likely to have a degree and a graduate degree. Um, if you look at senior women, they're 13% more qualified than the men. So, you know, this message, well, we've got to be upskilling the girls. Yeah, sure. And we've got to be upskilling the boys. But the reason why there aren't women in tech is not because there's a lack of qualified women out there. Not entirely, at least. Tech, one thing that occurs to me is, <clears throat> compared to most other industries, I think tech um, is very high risk and high reward. If your company does well, it could create many, many millionaires inside the company. There's not many industries where that type of thing happens. And so I wonder whether that turns people that 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 turns people into versions of themselves that are not not the real nice kind kind of versions of themselves. So if we don't get that deal over the line, there is a big big problem for many people in the organization and therefore it turns people into that sort of alpha men into that alpha male highly aggressive like pretty mental sort of and i've seen it yeah. um sort sort of personality which is not acceptable and is it is not is very not acceptable in most other industries is that something that you've you've recognized from the the research you've done yeah, I mean, a couple of things there. The, the, the tech that you're talking about, the high stakes, high returns, um, you know, startup culture. Yeah. That's, sorry, that's tech culture. Is it the yeah. reality of tech jobs? No, it's a tiny minority of tech jobs. Most people working in tech are working in large corporations, as most of the workforce does, or they're working as individual freelancers. And in neither of those cases are you talking about the the startup um, fantasy. Now, even when you are talking about startups and that potential for high growth, when you actually look at kind of what startups succeed and what don't, which ones don't, I think it's um, women get about, I think it's, I think it's as much as 2% of venture capital funding. Um, and again, that has stayed stubbornly steady as a statistic. But actually, when you look at the success of start, how much of a return do those startups make on the investment? Um, I should have figured to hand and I don't, but it's an awful lot more than 2%. Women's led startups do really well. Now, why do they? Okay, is this, there's partly not many of them get through the starting gate. So you've got only the best will even get into the, into the game. But I think there's also a bit about, you know, I would really question whether there is a correlation of success with those sort of macho, um, you know, the, the tech cliche behaviours. Because actually all the research seems to suggest that, no, that's what we think. Well, again, back to what people tell you. People tell you that's what makes a great leader. When you actually look at great leaders and look at how they behave, it's not the case. Um, there's a really good book, actually, that let me. This is written by a guy. Um, I'll, I'll put it in the chat, actually. It's written by a guy who is, I think it's Manpower's chief scientist. But it's a book about, you know, leadership and what actually makes for a good leader. And his view is that the way that we change, get more women into leadership positions. And he talks a little bit about tech, but it's more a general book 
is we just start looking at what actually makes a good leader. And if we do that, automatically, you'll find that roughly half of the leaders are women. Um, and I think when you're looking at tech leadership and looking at successful tech unicorns, um, successful big tech companies, you see patterns of effective leadership that are very like the patterns elsewhere. Tech's not that special. And actually the myth of the, the wild genius who gets away with it because this is tech and is different, it's a myth like tapping for Tinkerbell. Um, I think, yeah, I, 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 let me just, I, go sorry, Anne, go ahead. I was just going to say one, one other thing, which is I, I, I expect, just tying a couple of things that you just said together there, Fionnula, um, the 2% uh, who, of people who get venture capital money who are, who are women, I imagine that they're much more highly qualified than the average of the other 98%. And Probably. they actually have had to jump a higher bar in order to get that. Um, so I suspect in the way that people get promoted, the women have to be higher qualified and, and whatever, as you, as you said. I, I imagine it's exactly the same in the way that VC money is distributed. Yeah, I, I think, it, and it's quite interesting. There was a, a study, which again, if people are interested, very happy to send you the links to, of um, the Swedish government has a, venture, has a venture capital kind of arm. And they recorded the pitch sessions and also once the startups had left the discussion, um, about the, the pictures. And they looked at, well, what kind of language is being used about a, a female um, founder compared to a male founder? One, sorry, first of all, did men and women use different language? And then also, was the discussion using different language? And did men and women use different language? Not really. Actually, we all, when we're, we're founders pitching, we all give the, fa the, the founder pitch stick. There, is, there was a huge difference in how those absolutely similar the statements were heard. So women would be character, oh, I think she's a little unrealistic. A man would say the same thing. He's really ambitious. He really yeah. understands the opportunity. I think, I mean, that's why I suppose my, you know, my three word answer to what do women want is men to listen. On that note, um, I don't want to interject this conversation is really good. Um, however, we're running really fast to the end of the, the, the show, which I didn't even realize how fast we were going through this, um, uh, which is yeah, evidence of how, how, how great this conversation has been so far. Uh, however, we need to take a mini break here, as we always do, because it's very, very important um, that everybody thinks of Brain Food Live as a conversation opening uh, uh, discourse. Um, yeah, and it sh we should never be a bottleneck for anything, um, but we do have to come off air in very short period of time. So if you've enjoyed this conversation to date and you want to continue the dialogue, uh, please make sure you do so, even if we do come off air. Um, and the way to do that is simply to expand the network of people that are watching this show. Um, so grab your LinkedIn URL, just share it into the chat stream. Um, if you're watching it on Crowdcast, if you're watching it on any of these uh, LinkedIn sort of uh, live streams that you're seeing it, uh, whether it's Adams, it's uh, Joe McCatty's, whether it's Juliana's, whatever it is that you're watching it, share your LinkedIn uh, URL into the comment thread there and just simply connect with everyone who's done the same. Um, worst case scenario is you're going to walk away with this with you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 connections that care about this topic. And then please go ahead and talk about it um, off uh, uh, in your own time. Um, okay, cool. Uh, Fionnula, we're going to have to move like directly um, to recommendations. I'm sure there's a segment in your book uh, and I, I am hesitant to say, okay, don't, you know, don't spoil everything for us, but, but can you give us like some general thoughts that have got you to say, you know what, if companies kind of did these three or five things, you would go a long way uh, towards making um, your environment more uh, welcoming and compatible for what women generally would want. Um, what are your, what, what's your collection of thoughts there, Fiona? Yeah, I mean, I think for, you know, I know there are most, mostly recruiters um, watching and listening to this. So, I mean, the three things recruiters would do that would make such a difference that the women have told us. Number one, offer a clear deal. Do things like give a salary range. Women, sadly, for all kinds of reasons, are much less likely than men to sell themselves well. Why bother? They're going to find out anyway. 
if you're paying them less than their than their peers. So, you know, be clear about salary and also about promotion deals. Women, just like men, want to see a future. So what's the kind of career structure? How are promotions decided? Offer a clear deal. Second thing, I think, you know, back to my introduction about my typical squiggly female career, think about using skills-based hiring rather than the more traditional approach. Um, when I, I ran Matchpoint, we, uh, Matchpoint was a company that um, offered a selection solution that was based on skills-based hiring. White labelled it for clients. We had the company five years, and during that time, we, we, as part of the deal, we got data from all our clients on, well, how have our hires that you've made using our system, how have they turned out? And also, how have your hires in general turned out? And skills-based hiring got 300% more high performers than the alternative. How do we know there's an alternative? Because every single company also used other hiring methods. So a big push for skills-based hiring because as um, Tomas Chamorro Pramusic says, that will actually equalize gender differences in terms of getting people in the door. Um, and I think the third thing I'd say is be really, really aware of the ways that you're putting women off potentially. And that can be things like language, you know, talk about culture ad, not culture fit. Um, there's lots of software, lots of advice out there on how to make your job applications, your job interviewing gender neutral. Um, level the playing field, look for the evidence. If, you, if recruiters do that, that will change everything so much. And for all the other ways in which we can change tech, well, I hope you'll buy the book. You know what? Um, the the uh, I really like the fact that recruiters have got some practical input on this. Um, like we're not passive actors into this story. Um, and in fact, you know, our, our job is, in fact, to uh, ensure that the companies that we're representing have access to the best people and, and are building the best companies. Um, so it's legitimately part of uh, our, our task to do. Um, so this is a key responsibility. Um, uh, uh, two questions, actually, I've got for you, Fionnula. Firstly, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't talk about um, your introduction of more flexible uh, type of working, because um, I assume that would be a significant component to making the organization more compatible uh, for women. Um, was there a reason for that, or uh, am I wrong in that presumption? Um, first, a, a couple of reasons. Um, I didn't talk about that. One is that 88% of tech companies say they do that already. Again, this is a lie. Um, but what exactly does flexible working mean? Um, you know, one of when, when all the, the women we talked to um, recently in tech, they were asking more for actually very tailored flexible working. Can we work it out together in the team? Got it. And I think that's a sign that generally, you know, that, that I've found in other industries too. So I think rather than sort of, one set policy that fits none, work it out. I think the other thing I'd say about flexible working is this isn't just for women. You will get better employees if you if you offer work that actually works for the people and works for the work. And that means some kind of flexible working. So I think, you know, stopping the stupid is a great point, but I suppose I didn't feel that that was particularly something for women. Um, and I do think it's table stakes. Yeah, um, that's interesting though to say it's the it's not the universal the universal sort of treatment of what your concept of flexibility is because people have different requirements. So can we create a culture which enables people to actually you know talk about it and negotiate actually what works? And in fact, can we actually make it dynamic so that it's not a case where you've committed to one way of working and then that's forever because um, people's lives change you know or your needs change or your interests change so you know of course you know, we need to create some flexibility through time as well as through you know format um okay a very very good final final question for you know when is the book out i'm sure uh, everyone's going to say you know we need to have this um uh, in our hands when is it uh, being published uh, well you know, that has, has to be a tune in next time because we're oh, negotiating okay. publishers now so Keep in touch and I will let you know that. And we will be, Patricia and I will be talking more about the book, our findings, and actually also about all this other research we've done, because I think, you know, the book is 
pulling together a lot of what we found both about the situation of women in tech, but even more so how we fix it. And the more that we can all take part in that discussion, the more we can help each other, the more we can connect people, the better. So please keep in touch with that. And, you know, of course, buy the book, but more than that, keep being interested, keep talking and doing things like today, which is, is, is brilliant. As I, even being a participant has been brilliant. And normally I have the lovely privilege of being in the audience. So. I'm I'm very pleased that you enjoyed your 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 coming on um Fionnula. We'll definitely get you back on. Let me know in the chat guys if you want sort of Fionnula to 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 uh to return. I think there's more so much more to say uh to dig into as well. Um so it feels like we've just scratched a little bit of the surface and there's probably more to dive into. So if you're up for it, we might want to bring you back and talk about another angle uh that could be relevant here. Um but let me leave you to your weekend, Fionnula. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, um great to see you um and uh and and yeah uh you have a very good weekend you too pleasure thanks cool um okay so we're gonna have to roll it and finish it at this point because it is on the dot 3 a.m at 3 p.m should i say we're back next week folks uh we've got another amazing show for you what are we talking about um i think we're talking about how to conduct an ai bias audit um so if you're not aware of this um, basically, we have a situation whereby there's tons of regulations starting to roll in in different parts of the world, in the US, in EU, in China, in all different places where they're saying, you know what, if you're using AI, you got to do it this way. Do we know anything about that? Answer is no. However, one of the things that we do need to get um, good at is understanding the lay of the land general direction as to where this legislation is going. So... I'm a big promoter of people using AI to get more efficient. Operational efficiency is a big component of what we do as recruiters. But at the same time, let's not do the stuff that we know is going to be kiboshed when these laws come into place. Um, so how do we actually use AI ethically? How do we actually conduct an audit so that we can check whether our usage of AI is going to be compliant on today's rules and the, the rules that we're seeing that are going to be made law in 2024. We've got Bob Pulver joining us for that. We've got Andrew Gadamski joining for that. We might even get Dr. Sarah Ali to join us as well. So if you're, if you're uh, sort of interested in this topic, do register for the show, follow the channel, and we'll see you there next week. Okay, cool. That's it. I'll see you there. Uh, All right. We, sorry, we, sorry, I dropped out, mate. Um, we, no, it's fine. I, I, I just, I was actually going to say at the start, I've got a funny feeling I'm going to end up hosting the show today. Um, <laughs> I just, I don't know why. I had a, I had a feeling. Um, but like that, see that the topic of that conversation we were just talking about there. I mean, that is like, that is such a big topic, and there are so many different aspects to it. Um and every question we asked and answer we got every question we could we asked we could have got a 30 minute answer because there's so much to it yeah yeah the, the what we could have done i mean what we should do and and then we we get this quite often actually that the topic selection probably needs to be a little bit narrower um or i mean it's not a disaster because what, no, what it was a this, good intro it was a great intro yeah to the exactly subject. What this means is it teases up. Sometimes, I mean, it's rare, but sometimes there's a few things where we run out of things to say and we've kind of done the conversation. But there we just scratch oh, the one. conversation so we can oh, just, yeah. like, have a think about diving deep. And I think Fionnula's uh, watching the show regularly, so you can pop on any time. Um, so, so, yeah, it's all good. All right. Um, what are you doing we this do weekend, man? Can we, can, we do, can, we do that show, can we do that show where it's open house and anybody can just join, maybe, like, at Christmas? Yeah. Just, do it, just, just, just save a yeah. slot, like first week of december or something which is this is open house it's like an open bar yeah. let me just switch it on actually i want to see if this actually works um so there's not many people watching anymore but um i don't know how do you do this um people or oh, people yeah o open stage so this goes open right. stage now right so i think anybody who's still watching this show can actually just come on right, come um, on then who's there so Thing is, do you remember though? We did this last. We did this the first iteration of Brain Food live. Yeah, was, yeah. The plan was to do exactly this. We chose yeah. Crowdcast so that people would wonder. Oh, someone's wondering. Michael, <laughs> who, is this? who is this? We've got more than I'm, one. We've got Chloe. Unbiased hiring. Oh. There's Chloe. <laughs> yeah, no there. 
Everyone's you just asked. There we it go. Works. It works. It works. So anyway, folks, there's another little bit of a chat stream for you. What are your thoughts on us like having a segment towards the end where we just like pile everyone in and that and your know, random pub chat um to finish off the thing? That might be worth doing, right? So it could um be a total bun fight. It could be like Oh no, who's this? It's Chris. <laughs> Chris. Oh, you do thing is yeah. though, you get you're gonna get some wrong and turn up in you know what I mean? It, not dressed for work, etc. There's a risk attached to this is that you know what i mean anyway um it's um it's it's i think a good idea and please people are popping in and maybe we just put a segment towards the end where we say you know what you want to talk about this let's pile in and bring bring the crowd bring the crowd we'll call it we'll do it all right knowledge in that crowd and actually one of the frustrating things the presenter is not being able to engage in the chat and follow the chat and yeah I'm definitely That's putting this right. on my CV as my, my brain food debut for the last five you, minutes. Do it. You, you brain food brain food panelist. Absolutely. You've, bust, you've busted in uninvited, uh, Chris. You've literally crashed it. Wait, he um, was but, invited. He was literally invited. You just invited him. No, but I love the fact he's just come on. I mean, I think this is what we need. We need people who are prepared to just, you know, everyone's watching a screen anyway. I'm pretty certain everyone's got webcam to the ready. So do we it can during the this. show. Yeah. So we'd maybe do a middle 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 segment, like a middle eighth and bring everyone on and you know boot them all off. All right. What listen, when, what happens if there's 20 people and they're all shouting over each other? I actually nice don't know. Um I yeah, I, I think there is a limit on the screen, but I don't know what that limit is, so we'll see. Um but anyway, listen, everyone's gotta go. So thank you for joining. Great to see you, Chris. Great to see you, Fee. Um Adam, I'll see you later. Um right, and we'll see everyone next week. Okay, see you later. Bye. Stop recording. Yes.